Luke chapter 6, verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there with a right hand, and his right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would let us learn from it. Let our faith grow in certainty tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've looked at Luke over the last few months, we, we, we looked at this fact that there was pre-ministry revelation that Luke gives us. Then there's early ministry, late ministry, and then leading up to the resurrection. In this part of the story of Luke, he really hits on four major topics. He'll touch on them a little bit more throughout the rest of the book of Luke, but they're predominantly... Uh, he predominantly hits them right here, and then he moves to the teachings uh, of Jesus. He deals with the Sabbath. He deals a little bit with leadership, which we'll talk about next week. He deals with healing, and he deals with demons. Again, all of these are a revelation of Jesus' power and his direction, and all of these, the way Jesus approached them, would have been seen as major departures from the teaching and authority of that day. These just weren't the way, th- it just wasn't the way things were done. And he had more power than what people would think. Now, we don't, we don't see them as a big deal because we have some biblical understanding. We need to see them as a big deal. We need to understand how big of a deal they were because they've all impacted our lives. But we, even though we don't see the hugeness of the deal, sometimes we get confused by these topics, and hopefully these lessons will build our faith and build our certainty. So today, uh, I want to I take time and just talk to you about the Sabbath. And, and tell you what it means and what it means, what it, what it should mean to us. The, Sabbath, the word Sabbath simply means to cease or desist. That's, all, that's what it means, to cease or desist. 
the concept of the Sabbath is first mentioned in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God so blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work and all that he had done. Now, we think about that, and I hear people talk about uh, Sunday being the Sabbath. You know, i got to keep the Sabbath. And there's some truth. We'll talk about that a little bit. You can do that. But biblically speaking, you know, in the biblical kind of concept of the Sabbath, uh, Sunday isn't the Sabbath. Sunday's the Lord's Day. Saturday would have been the Sabbath. The first day of the week is Sunday. Saturday would have been the Sabbath. And this idea of the Sabbath, uh, of, a, of that sixth day, becomes encoded in the law. In the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. It is the only commandment that Jesus dismisses to an extent as a law. Even though he keeps it in place as a concept for our life. It's not just completely thrown out and forget this. We'll talk about this as this unfolds a little bit. Throughout the Old Testament, the people would break this law, and the prophets and the teachers would call them back to it. So let's talk about some of the time frames and the Sabbath. In early Old Testament times, it, it meant simply what we say, to rest from work, and it became an expression of faith. It was seen as a resting from work. Now remember, the Sabbath was a pre-law establishment of God and a law establishment of God. And then after, uh, after the, the, the resurrection, it became this thing of faith that we do. The Sabbath basically, uh, first of all, was a gift of God to all creation. It's a gift to us. It's impacted our society. The United States have been dramatically impacted by the idea of the Lord's Day and taking a day of rest and taking a day to honor uh, God. So the Sabbath was, first of all, rest from work. It was a command to people to let their body rest from secular work. It was a command to slave owners to let their slaves rest. It was a command to animal owners to let their animals rest one day a week. Basically, God's saying, the way I built you, the way I made you, is you need rest on a regular basis to set aside the pressures and to rest. And it reflects back to their time in Egypt when they didn't get rest when they were slaves and were driven every day by this slavery, and God was reestablishing now this day of rest. 
two significant reasons for that to happen. The first one was this. The Sabbath was meant to recognize in our hearts that God was the creator. This is important to us even today. For ourselves to take time to say, nope, this day is a day where I recognize who my God is and what he has done in my life. It's important for our families, our children that we raise, and for them to have that day where they know this day is a day where we set everything else aside and we honor God. There's a, there's a natural rhythm of life that we're supposed to be in where, where one day a week we honor God as our creator and now where we honor God as our Savior. Now, we don't want to put too much legalism on that, uh, but we don't want to dismiss that day too easily either. What's happened to us in the last 50 years is this has really swung from this idea that the Lord's day is supposed to be set aside to this idea that the Lord's day is all about us. And now we've moved from a time when, you know, people, you know, back in, when I was a kid growing up, people would miss, you know, being in their church maybe two or three times a year unless they were sick or something. And, and now it's moved to a time where the majority of people miss being in the house of God, you know, up to 16 weeks. Think about this, up to 16 weeks a year is what they tell us. Well, that's, what is that, four months? That's a quarter of the year. And, the, and we miss for anything and everything. Uh, we, we go chasing after all sorts of things, and what we miss when we don't keep a Sabbath is we miss that rhythm in our life and the rhythm in our children's life that is needed for the building of faith. This is why we, we say so many times Hey, listen, if you're on vacation, don't take a vacation from going to the house of the Lord. Find a church, go to it, get online, get your family around, listen to the service here. Do something to honor the Lord on that day, to remember who he is and his place in your life and who he is in your life. This isn't a legalistic thing. This is a, this is a searching thing. It's what's healthy for my soul. It's not about me keeping some ritual. It's about me recognizing how my soul stays sustained and being in a place for the sustaining part of my soul. I mean, you understand this. Being in a corporate worship setting builds us as we come into it and strengthens us. Hearing the Word of God preached feeds us and builds us and we need that experience inside of this world that is trying to suck all of God out of us. Trying to suck it out of our society and is trying to suck it out of our lives. We need that natural rhythm of doing what God created us, how God created us to recognize, no, this day is special. Now, I'm not a hard-nosed legalist about this. 
uh, when, I, when our family goes on, on trips, there'll be times, uh, many, many times on a Sunday morning we get up and we go to church. Sometimes because of what's going on that week, we'll look and say, nope, on Saturday night we're going to church, but we go to church. We're going to find some place to go to church. We're going to look for a place to be in God's house. And if we're in some part of the world, some part of the country where there isn't church, then we have our own church setting. We get our word out and we pray together and we talk about the things of God together. Why? Because there's, a, there's this natural rhythm of health that your soul needs. And there's this natural rhythm that your life needs to stay healthy. It's why some people are weak in faith and weak against the temptations of the world because they, they don't keep the Lord's day in the place where it should be at. The second thing in, in these early days that it was really meant to be in the early days uh, of, of, uh, of the Old Testament, it was meant as a sign to the world, and it's still a sign to the world. When, when, when it shows how God plays in our life and how we honor him, when we set time to dedicate to him. So how do you feel about Chick-fil-A not being open on Sunday? It's a good thing, isn't it? It, 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 it gives a testimony to who they are. There was a time when Sam's wasn't open on Sunday, and then, you know, he died, the leader died, and the next generation said, hey, there's a whole other day we can get money from stuff. And they changed. There was a time, some of you will remember this years ago, when a lot of things were closed on Sunday. A lot of people honored uh, the Lord's Day, but the call of the dollar uh, is, uh, is, is very, uh, very strong. So I, I would just tell you in, in all of that that there is a testimony. So you have, it always kind of baffles me. Somebody will say to me, well, you know, Pastor, I won't be here next Sunday. Well, what's going on? Well, my family's coming into town, and I have to cook for them. You know what the best thing you do for your family would be? Be faithful to the house of God. Now, that doesn't mean you have to look at your family and say, I'm going to church, you have to too. But if you tell them, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in church on Sunday. You've just, what have you just done? You've just sent a message about the importance of being faithful to God's house and who you are and who God is in your life. When they say why, you look at them and say, you know what, I'll tell you why. I just, you know, God's been so good to me that the second they say why do you have to go to church, do you understand that's an opportunity to witness. That's an opportunity to share the greatness of God with them. It's not, well, I got to go because, you know, I have this religious box I got to check off. No, I'm hungry for the presence of God. I want to honor God. I want to grow in God. I want to I worship God. And, boy, I, I want to do that faithfully to him. And I'm going to go do that. Hey, I'll be back an hour and a half or you can come with me, whatever you want to do. In the early days uh, of, of development, uh, even, even, think about this. this. This begins to take place even before Abraham, it was simply rest uh, from work and, and some expression of faith. But it came more defined throughout the prophets. They began to talk about, hey, you don't gather food, you don't plow, you don't reap, you don't start a fire, you don't chop wood, how far, you, know, you can only walk so far from home. 
that all sorts of rules began to unfold. And it was about remembering who God is and God's role in your life and getting rest. Today, if you go to Israel with us, uh, they have, and you get, you get to a, a Saturday, which for us, it's basically from sundown on Friday night to sun up, uh, you know, or, or wait a second, sun up on Saturday morning to sundown on, on Saturday night. There's this whole thing. Maybe it's sundown to sundown. I'm getting confused right here. And it's really interesting how, how some of the Jewish people live by those Sabbat rules and others don't. So you go, you go into the, the uh, I remember being in, in uh, hotels, in, uh, especially in Jerusalem, and while you're in the hotels, uh, they'll tell you when it comes to, to, that, to that time. Now look, there's, your floor has two elevators on them. Uh, one's a Sabbat elevator, one's a regular elevator. So on the Sabbat elevator, if you get on that elevator, it may be 15 floors. It's going to stop at every floor all the way down. Then it'll go all the way up, and it will stop, and stop at every floor going up. Then it'll stop on every floor going down, and it just keeps running the whole time. Why? Because they can't press the button. They can't press the button. They, they can't break that rule. They can't press Can't start a car because it starts fire. So the, 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 the one who's really into this, they're, they're, there's all sorts of, of rules uh, around this. They won't do business and on and on it goes of the things they will not do because it's breaking the Sabbath. Now, in intertestament uh, times, uh, between the old and, and the new, from the, the, the spiritual leaders, they developed 39 categories of activities forbidden on the Sabbath. So they had these 49 things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And if you take any one of them, like harvesting, then they had sub-points of what that meant. We'll talk about that in a minute. So he had this big extended set of rules about the Sabbath. And here's a key lesson. Legalism, legalism typically turns to one of two things. Either we turn to acts of justification. We justify ourselves and go ahead and break the rule. Or it turns to control and manipulation. You know, legalism's never healthy for us. And you'll, you'll see that many, many times when people, with people who have a tendency to want to be controlling or want to have a rule for everything or want everything to be judged by right and wrong and, and you know, with the sense of right and wrong and they want to judge what music's right and wrong and they want to judge what hairdos are right and wrong. They want, to, they want to legalistically have everything, and it spills out of this manipulation and control of their children and everything else. And typically what it produces is rebellion. Or you have the other side of it that just wants to dismiss everything and accept everything and say that there's nothing to any of it. Now, what we find in these two stories is control. 
uh, Jesus' disciples are, are walking by a grain field. The law required the farmers to leave the edges of their field unharvested. The outer edge of them, leave them unharvested. They weren't to harvest them. In fact, they weren't even to go over the field twice. They could go through it and harvest it once. But if they missed something, it was to be left there. This was left for the poor. It's what Ruth was doing when Naomi sent her out to the field to get food for them. It was harvest time that she was sent out what to follow the harvesters and to get what they left. And it's what Boaz did when he said to his harvesters, listen, when you see where she's at, leave a lot. Leave a lot. Let her get it. Uh, it, was, it was a way for the poor to get food. It's perfectly legal perfectly acceptable it was a way for the poor where they could go and work and eat and have food the edges of the field were left for travelers it's like their fast food restaurant if you will they it's oh there's a field that's oh there should be something there for us to get something to eat i mean you think about it, they didn't have the things that we have today and so god had provided for travelers to have food. They weren't supposed to reap the harvest. However, in codifying the law, religious leaders had decided that harvesting on the Sabbath was illegal. Now, there was some truth in that. To go into the field and to work in the field uh, would be illegal. But they had gone further to describe different harvesting methods that were illegal. And one of those methods was that taking the grain and rubbing the heads of the grain together so they could get what they could eat out of it. And so this meant the traveler couldn't get that and rub his hands together to get the food from it. Uh, this would be illegal, was, was against the the, what they called their Sabbath laws. This would be similar to saying, well, you can pick up a sandwich at McDonald's, you just can't unwrap it. Go ahead and eat it, you can't unwrap it. So Jesus tells them a very famous story. He tells them about David when he was fleeing from Saul. This is a story they all knew. And, and he says, he and his commandments come to a house of God. And in, in this house of God, in the house of God, there would be, they would put out 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. They would set it out before God once a week. It would be there for the week. And at the end of the week, the, it could be eaten by the Pharisees or, or by the priests, excuse me. It could be eaten by the priests. However, David is traveling with his companions, and they're hungry. And they go in to this house of God, and what do they do? They take the bread that legally could only be eaten by the priests. It's an accepted story within their, 
within their faith that they understood that that happened. Jesus was saying to, to them, listen, if you condemn me, if you condemn these guys for picking some, you know, some of the grain as we're walking down the street, rubbing their hands together and eating it, you also have to con- condemn David who did something much more severe. He was showing them the hypocrisy of what they were doing. Really, his teaching points to the fact that the Sabbath was made for man's good and God's glory. That's what it was made for. In Mark 2.27, he says it clearly. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What's he doing? He's clearing up all of their ritualistic laws. Then it goes on and says on another Sabbath, Jesus was in a synagogue, uh, hundreds of communities throughout Israel. He's in a, in a, in a synagogue, and the, the men would be there. There were a certain number of men that would have been in that synagogue, the synagogue he was in on that day. And uh, if you ever go to Israel, you can see some of those places uh, that, that are still there. Mostly a small room for the reading of the word and guests would be allowed to speak and Jesus would go into them and teach. It's what Paul went around doing. He would go to the synagogue, go to the Jews, and the guests would be, set, would be asked, do you have a word? Do you have something you want to say? And Jesus would teach or uh, Paul would teach. Now some believe that the wording of this story suggests that this is sort of a setup. I don't know if it was a setup or not, but there was a man there with a shriveled arm and the Pharisees are there as well watching to see if Jesus will heal on the Sabbath because they considered healing work. They considered it work. And so Jesus has the man stand up in front of everybody. He knows what's going through their mind. He knows what's taking place. And he says, you know, is it okay to do good on the Sabbath? And they all just keep their mouth shut and don't say anything because their minds are already made up. And Jesus, uh, cutting through all the traditions, this is what he says. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Jesus wasn't breaking the scriptural law. He was breaking the traditional laws. He was saying, I'm Lord even of the Sabbath, and your traditions don't mean anything to anyone, they're harmful instead of helpful. And he's trying to show how to sweep that away. Now, here's some lessons for us. We need a Sabbath rest, and we need to honor God in that rest. What does that mean? That's some rest from secular work. It's rest from all of those kind of things where we let our bodies rest, let our minds rest. This is why people feel so much stress. It's why they get you know, anxiety, all kinds of things happen because we don't say, okay, on this day, I'm going to trust God as my creator to help me get done in six days. What is Chick-fil-A saying? We're going we're gonna to pray God blesses us in six days if we give him the seventh day. And it's, it's what we say. 
God, we're going to take these six days, but we're going to take a day a week that we're going to honor you. We're going to rest from all of that stuff, and we're going to, our bodies need that. Uh, Jesus freed us from the legal slash traditional bonds of the Sabbath. He freed us from some of those, from many of those things. We don't live under that legalism anymore. In the New Testament, the day to honor Jesus was moved from Saturday to the Lord's Day. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on the Lord's Day. Uh, the New Testament church clearly followed the Lord's Day as their day of celebration. Uh, it still sets a clear distinction of faith and a testimony to who we follow when we follow this idea of setting a day, setting some time. And again, I'm not legalistic. If somebody you know, has things, well, I've, I've, I've got to do this on Sunday. Well, set some day that you're saying, say, that day I'm going to honor God and I'm going to follow after God. So we need a time to set aside, to testify to our family, our friends, to our world. This is the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is not bound in legalism, but it should be honored and it should be joyous, not because we're doing some legalistic thing, but because we're hungry to be in the presence of God and to honor God. Now, listen with me to Isaiah 56. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hands from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument, a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. He says, Listen, Whatever circumstance you're going through, you're going to find, if you keep these things, you're going to find an everlasting name. And the foreigners who join themselves the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord his God and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called the house of prayer for all peoples. And the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of, either, of, of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So here we see this Old Testament promise about, uh, about keeping the Sabbath, about foreigners, people who aren't Jewish who come to faith and they keep the Sabbath. People who have no way of bearing natural fruit, who suddenly have spiritual fruit. People who are now 
in the body of, in the body of God, and now God's going to bless him. And part of the blessing is going to be when my people do this, I'm going to gather others who have departed from me into the same thing. The testimony and the spiritual authority in this is going to be powerful. Now, that, that translates to us in this way of as we honor God, as we allow our lives to honor God, as we set that time aside, as we get healthy in ourselves because we're resting the right way, as we get as we become a testimony to God because we're, we're inviting God and honoring our creator in our life, we become healthy enough to bear the fruit that God wants us to bear. We become blessed of God to do the work he would have us to do. And we become blessed of God to see others gathered, uh, gathered in his name. This is the principle. This is a principle. We, we don't hang on to methods but we hang on to the principle. And the principle is, when you honor the Lord this way, the keeper shall be blessed and others shall be gathered in. I've been praying in my prayer time, uh, God, increase our, the faithfulness of believers to your house. Not because uh, we work something up, but because they want to know you and they want to be in your house and they want to honor you. It seems today like everything takes people away from the house of God. Uh, this is why I say, listen, if you're traveling, whatever you do, go to church, honor the Lord. Uh, you know, find that way to make that special time to honor God. If it was, if it was made for you, just find time to honor God so the rhythm of life and the priority of family is maintained. Whether you're in town or out of town, make sure you get that rhythm of life maintained. Here's where we fail at, at times. We, we fail to see that as our body, that our body needs this rest, that our soul and our spirit needs this rest. And we fail to see that there's spiritual empowering as we honor God and we invite him into our life and we come into his house with the intent of seeking him and being fed by him and growing in him. Now, what do we need to know? Let me share one last thing. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. I would encourage you to read those first about 10, 12 verses of, of Hebrews. But just to, to keep it short tonight. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from him, from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Ultimately, ultimately, the Sabbath rest that we enjoy the Sabbath rest that we enjoy is a Sabbath rest from working out our salvation. That's ultimately the gift of this. The people in the Old Testament, 
they had all of these rules and all of these laws. And you know what the rules and the laws were really about? They were really about us seeing how we couldn't measure up. Knowing what we couldn't do. In Christ, we get to rest from that. We get a rest in Jesus. So the enemy comes by and whispers in our ear, you're not good enough. We can say, well, you lying devil, that's the truth. I'm not good enough, but Jesus is. Finish the sentence. Jesus is good enough. We are covered by his righteousness. The second you step into the kingdom, the covering of Jesus comes over your soul, over your life, and you are covered by his righteousness. And from that day forward, when God sees you, he chooses to see the righteousness of Christ on you. Now, we want the righteousness of Christ not only to be on us, we want a sanctifying work to work through us. And we want our life to begin to reflect and our spirit to be healed from the self, the self of sin, and we want to begin to walk in him. We don't want to walk in fear. We want to walk in faith. We don't want to walk in lust. We want to walk in love. We don't want to walk in anger. We want to walk in the peace of God. We don't want to walk in selfishness. We want to walk in servanthood. And we want to do that not by legalism or by law, but because God has transformed our lives, and that's where we naturally walk now. That's how we naturally live. And as we do that, as we give up, we don't want to walk in revenge. We want to walk in forgiveness. And as God deals with those things in our life, which most of the time he deals with them in our prayer life, uh, as he deals with them in our life, not only are we covered by the righteousness of Christ, but the righteousness of Christ begins to work through us and we begin to be set free from the results of sin in our life and the work of sin in our life. We are covered, we're set free from the judgment of sin, and now we're being transformed by the work of Christ in righteousness so we no longer continue in sin. Are you getting this? This is a gift of God, and we get this by resting in Jesus. This is a major lesson to the Jewish people that they can be freed from the legalism, and it's a major lesson from us that we can rest in our salvation. Friends, your only hope for heaven is Jesus. Your only hope for heaven is Jesus. Your hope for heaven is not that you get good enough to get there. So the enemy, every time you slip up, mess up, do something wrong, the enemy comes by and says, you're not going to make, you're a worthless, no good sinner. I'm not resting how good I am. I'm resting in Jesus. I want to get better because I know his way is the right way. I want to get better because I feel his convicting spirit in my life. I want to get better because I find life in doing what is right. But I'm resting in Jesus. And when the enemy says, you blew that, that wasn't good, you failed, I go, no, I'm resting in Jesus. I'm just resting in him. I don't want to do that anymore. God, help me to be free from that. Help me never to act that way, talk that way, think that way, do that thing anymore. God, help me to be pure and wholehearted in you. Help me to get this right, all of it. But, Lord, I'm resting in Jesus. You will never get good enough to go to heaven. You'll never get good enough. Jesus is the only reason you get to go to heaven. 
Amen? Rest in Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together tonight and let's pray. Father, I, I pray that these thoughts on how we honor you would help us to be serious about being faithful to your house. And I pray that even as we come to your house, you'd help us not to do this as a legalistic step. But Father, because we want to honor you, because we want to know you, because we want to worship you. I pray that, Father, in the rhythm of life, you'd let us figure out how we can have that rest from the labors and the worries of our life to honor you. And, Father, for us to get healthy, we thank you for this great gift and great calling to rest in you. But let us not be ruled by legalism. Let us be ruled by your grace and your gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now next week we're going to talk a bit about leaders, how God appointed leaders, how, we be, how, how God sees us and wants us to be leaders, and the things we have to do to get in that place. All right? All this from the book of Luke. God bless you. Talk to some folks around you. Go in the name of the Lord.